there, I'm Kat Keogh and I'm Head of News and Features at Nursing Standard and today we're going to be talking about all things perimenopause and menopause but not about patients, um, about nurses themselves. Now the average age of menopause for women in the UK is 51 and about 9 out of 10 of nurses are female and about half of um, people on the NMC register are aged 41 to 55. So that puts them squarely in the age group for experiencing symptoms. But it's also something that can affect younger members of the nursing community too. Stats show that about 1 in 100 women will go through the menopause at the age or before the age rather of 40. Now, I'm delighted to say that today we're joined by um, Dr. Louise Newson. Um, she's a GP and a menopause specialist who has a passion for improving education about the perimenopause and menopause among the public and health professionals as well. Um, she's director of Newson Health, which runs a menopause and wellbeing clinic in Warwickshire. Her website, menopausedoctor.co.uk, offers evidence-based information for both women and health professionals. And in 2020, she set up the Menopause Charity, which is dedicated to raising awareness and removing embarrassment around the perimenopause and menopause. And um, just in case she wasn't busy enough, in 2020, she also launched a free app called Balance, which has been designed to empower women. So, Louise, thank you ever so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for inviting me today, Kat. It's a real mm -hmm. pleasure. Problem. Okay, I think probably the best place to start is um, at the beginning. Um, what is the menopause? So isn't it interesting? So the menopause, if you break down the word, men meno is obviously menstrual cycle, so woman's periods. Pause just means stop. So it's um, it means it's a year since a woman's last period. So that's quite hard, actually. So it's a retrospective look back in time diagnosis. So a lot of women don't know they're menopausal until the official one year after their last period. But what happens is for most women it's their eggs run out so we're born with a finite number of eggs and when they run out the hormones associated with egg production go so our main hormones as you know are estrogen testosterone and progesterone and the estrogen and progesterone work together to regulate a woman's cycle but they also have really important effects all around our body so every single cell in our body has a receptor which responds to estrogen on it yeah. so you can imagine when our periods stop then our hormone levels reduce. And because of that, um, we don't have the same amount of estrogen. It declines rapidly and then goes. Um, so this can cause symptoms, but it can also cause health risks, which we can talk about. So most women, as you as you say, the average age is one in the average age, sorry, is 51. Whereas yeah. younger women can become menopausal and, and some women become menopausal not because of a natural process of yeah. related to aging because their ovaries are removed for example if, if a woman has both of her ovaries removed she will then become menopausal overnight because without yeah. her ovaries she doesn't have the same hormones but also women can have their ovaries damaged by drugs um, chemotherapy radiotherapy for example yeah. um, and sometimes that's a permanent um, um, damage causing menopause or it could be temporary as well yeah. so there are lots of different reasons but the important thing is that women are diagnosed promptly and they actually know what's going on and know about the health risks associated with these low hormone levels and is it um is it something that i mean everyone you know when you say the word menopause you immediately make that association with hot flushes or you know it could be something like mood swings um but is it something that is is openly talked about and 
If not, why not? Yeah, I think it's been talked about more, but it hasn't been. And I don't know why, Kat, really. I mean, it does seem a last taboo. We're very open, aren't we, talking about um, even sex more than we were, sexually transmitted infections, which is great. Mental health used to be a real stigma. Certainly when I was a medical student in the 80s and 90s, people didn't even use the word depression. Mm. Um, whereas menopause is um, something that I think it's because people don't understand. And I think the menopause has always been a butt of jokes, doesn't it? A menopause, a woman with a fan who's slightly overweight, a bit annoying, you know, a bit of a mood swing. It's almost a bit laughable. Yeah. Whereas actually, it shouldn't be and I think people um, haven't really talked about it because they haven't known quite the effect it has on people and do you know I had no idea the effect it has on women until I opened my clinic um, and every day either in my clinic or via social media I hear stories of women who are really struggling because the importance of the hormone estrogen and also testosterone for a lot of women and our brains is essential. Mm. So, you know, hot flushes and sweats is something that a lot of women experience, probably about 75% of women, but most women actually, it, it's not the thing that floors them or makes them give up work. It's the, mm. um, the anxiety, the brain fog, the memory problems, the poor concentration. Um, some people have very low mood, even very dark dark suicidal thoughts you know mm. these are crippling that you can't just snap out of a lot of women find they have symptoms lasting for many years yeah the average length of time has been reported to seven years but certainly I've seen women that have had symptoms for decades but symptoms can change as well so <clears throat> for example a woman might have few hot flushes sweats they might worsen and then they might improve and they think great that's it I've done my menopause if you like but then they find they become very anxious very socially withdrawn or they tend to put on weight or they've got muscle and joint pains or palpitations mm. and then <clears throat> later on they might develop some um, vaginal dryness or some urinary symptoms mm. but they won't always link those as related to the menopause um, so if you say to women oh do, have you getting any menopausal symptoms they'll probably say no but if yeah. you say have you had any symptoms that have changed over the last few years you know such as muscle pain such as uh, reduced stamina or sleep problems most of them will say yes and it's usually related to their low hormones because they'll be low forever unless we take hrt because that's what happens you know and it's important because if you think in the victorian times so 100 years ago or so ago Women used to die quite soon after their menopause, usually a couple of years after their menopause. So although the symptoms obviously could be troublesome, yeah. the, the health risks weren't such a problem. Um, and so it, I suppose it wasn't really addressed or thought of as a problem. And it's very interesting, actually, if you look back into the history of hormones and how they were diagnosed and associated mm -hmm. with diseases, it, it's very apparent that when they discovered insulin and thyroxine, that was associated with disease. So obviously, um, absence or low insulin is associated with diabetes, hypothyroidism, um, if someone doesn't have thyroxine in their body. But when they found the hormone estrogen, the estradiol, mm. it was associated with hot flushes. It wasn't associated with the disease. And so I think then it's quite difficult for a woman who's experiencing all these symptoms yeah. to actually even see a doctor because they think, well, this is a natural process. This isn't a disease. Yes. But my sort of counter argument to that would be, of course, it's not a disease, but of course, obesity isn't a disease, but it leads to health risks. And of yeah. course, even raised blood pressure isn't a disease, but if it's not treated, there's a risk of heart attack and strokes. Mm. And in the same way, the low hormone levels that 
occur during the menopause are associated with real health risks such as an increased risk of developing heart disease, mm. type 2 diabetes, osteoporosis, dementia, depression. So, you know, and, and it is so important that we consider these health risks because women are living for longer. The average life for women is, is in their 80s, so that means 30 years being menopausal, but also those women who you said at the beginning, the young women, they, yeah. they might lead the, lead the majority of their lives being menopausal. And so the longer they are without hormones, the more health risks they potentially have. And one of the things that I must admit, um, up until a few years ago, I, I really, I thought I knew what the menopause was, but the perimenopause was always mm. something that I just didn't really get the definition. Um, but that's something that is, is the sort of lead up to the menopause. And that's a point of time that you can still get these types of symptoms, isn't it? Absolutely. So peri is just a medical term for around the time of. So perimenopause is around the time of the menopause. So what happens usually is that women start to experience some menopausal symptoms, mm. but their periods change in nature or frequency. And it can be very difficult to monitor your symptoms because if people are busy, um, they're not always looking at themselves or thinking objectively in the same way about what's going on in their bodies. So if periods are starting to change, they might become um, less frequent or more frequent. They might become heavier or lighter. But in conjunction with symptoms, it's likely women are perimenopausal. And these symptoms can last for many years, sometimes even a decade before the menopause so that means there's lots of women in their 40s but even quite a few women in their 20s and 30s who are experiencing perimenopausal symptoms and often being misdiagnosed with chronic fatigue fibromyalgia palpitations for unknown cause um, and just or even low mood and depression lots of women are offered or given antidepressants as you know for this low mood Um, but whereas it's related to their hormones yeah so it's, I mean, it really, I mean, I've heard you say it before, it's, it's a hormone deficiency, isn't it, that, that needs correcting? Absolutely. And it's, it is, it's a long-term female hormone deficiency. And if we rebranded, if you like, the menopause as that, women would send, then start to think, well, deficiency, how do I get replacement? What, what do I need? And, you know, when women think about HRT, they've been scared about it. Doctors, nurses, healthcare professionals are scared about HRT. Women are scared. The media are scared because they've been given wrong information. So it's almost like women try and do anything they can to avoid HRT. And it's almost a failure if they take it, mm-hmm. which is completely wrong and actually goes against all the evidence we have about HRT so just to kind of unpick that really i mean the hrt as as a treatment's been around since the 60s yeah a long time yeah and then it yeah probably about 20 years ago you had the the large sort of scale study um and that's what prompted the beginnings of those kind of negative headlines around hormone replacement therapy um but they've since been that evidence has been re-reviewed and and it's it's not as compelling as it as it was at the time is that no absolutely it's a massive controversy and actually it's been the biggest insult to women's health in in the history of mankind i think actually and i know that sounds dramatic but it's very true so if you look back when they um, started 
prescribing HRT, um, they realised that women not only felt better, but they had less disease. Mm. Um, and so certainly in the 80s and 90s, we used to prescribe it all the time to women without thinking anything. And then this big study, the Women's Health Initiative study, was published in 2002, and it was a multi-billion dollar study. It was a huge study. Mm. And it was looking at actually heart disease risk it wasn't looking at breast cancer risk and most of the women they were giving hrt to in this group were older women in their 60s who had a lot of them had had heart disease themselves a lot of them were overweight and um, most of them didn't have symptoms but they were given a high dose of tablet estrogen with a synthetic progesterone which is a man-made progesterone, uh, which has risks in itself. The study um, results were leaked to the press or, or given to the press before they were analysed. Um, and the first thing they said to the press was, HRT causes breast cancer. Mm. And, um, I, and so this was a nail in the coffin. There was all, everyone in America, millions of women stopped taking HRT overnight because quite rightly, they were scared. And yeah. then um, the data was analysed properly and there had been so much looking at the data because it was such a big study. And there are a few things that are really important. So firstly, the younger women who were women in their 40s and 50s who were within 10 years of taking their HRT, they found actually had a lower risk of heart disease. They had a lower risk of osteoporosis and dementia as well. So there were health benefits which they knew already, but they were confirmed. Right. Studies been followed up for 18 years and women who continue to take HRT have found to have a lower risk of death from all causes, including cancer, which shows the importance of oestrogen. And then you look at this breast cancer risk. And actually, there's a couple of really important things here. So the women who have had a hysterectomy, who had oestrogen on its own, so without a progesterogen, they were followed up now over 18 years. And it's found that those women had a 25% lower risk of breast cancer, which sounds... I'm going to repeat that because people will think I've got it wrong, but I haven't. They had a lower risk of breast cancer with taking oestrogen on its own. Mm -hmm. um, and so then where's this breast cancer risk come from? Well, they looked at women who took combination HRT. So women who have still got their womb need to have a progesterone or progestogen, mm -hmm. a synthetic progesterone um, to protect the lining of their womb. And the women that took the synthetic progestogens, which were used in this study, they were found to have a small increased risk of breast cancer, possibly. But when they've re-re-re-re-analyzed, <laughs> they found that actually... They didn't have an increased risk because what they found was that women who were taking HRT before the study yep. had a lower risk of breast cancer. So the women who weren't taking HRT who started, their risk was relatively higher, but not compared to the women who were protected from taking HRT. So it's like a double whammy, actually. What it has shown is that HRT is really safe. Yeah. But because there was all this misreporting and there are people out there who really almost want to believe it's true so they'll try and find any evidence and then they'll say yes look there's an extra eight per ten thousand cases and that that case that has maybe doubled risk it sounds really high but even if you compare it to um a credit card fraud i think that the risk of being your credit card being fraud um is is between six and eight per ten thousand most of us have credit cards and most of us don't have any fraud so so you have to look at the bigger picture but also what you have to look at is have there been any studies to show there's an increased risk of death from breast cancer from women taking HRT? No, there haven't. But there has been studies to show that women are less likely to die from all causes if you take HRT. Mm -hmm. But also, most women actually die from heart disease and dementia, as you know, not breast cancer. Yeah. Yeah. So knowing that HRT reduces our risk of 
of having heart disease and dementia, but also dying from heart disease, actually is a big plus in my mind. Mm. So, um, so there is lots of good evidence. And actually also now you know, we prescribe HRT very differently to the HRT that was prescribed in the WHI study. So we give estrogen through the skin yeah. as a patch gel or, or there's a spray. So it goes directly through the skin into the bloodstream. So there's no risk of clot or stroke. So that's very safe. And then the progesterone we usually prescribe is so-called micronized progesterone, which is the body identical progesterone. And there's been no study to show that this progesterone is associated with the risk of breast cancer. Um, and then if people don't take that, they, we often recommend a marina coil, which has a synthetic progesterone, but it's a very low dose. So there's no risks with that. Um, and there's thought to be no risks with that either. So HRT has come on a long way. So there's different doses, there's different types. Mm. There's also testosterone we often prescribe as well. Um, so for the majority of women, which is what the NICE menopause guidelines clearly stated when they came out in 2015, for the majority of women, the benefits of taking HRT outweigh any risks. Yeah. And that's really important for people to know because sadly, as you know as well, the minority of women at the moment take HRT, which is wrong because it's putting their future health at risk. Thanks for, for clearing that one up. I think if we just sort of roll back a little bit just on the symptoms um, side of things, because as you, you know, as you said, it's oestrogen receptors are all over our body there's a raft of symptoms well known from your hot flushes to the less well known so hot flushes are the the, the sort of main thing but one thing i wanted to talk about is you know nurses as a, as a workforce may work shifts they may be fatigued they may you know have problems with sleep and those are issues that oestrogen affects as well aren't they um and would it you know is there a danger of nurses perhaps not realizing that issues around fatigue could be related to the perimenopause and, and menopause and they can just put it down to you know everyday stresses and strains of work family you know caring commitments um do, do you Absolutely. i think <laughs> We see it a lot. And, um, you know, I missed my own perimenopause because I thought it was because I was working too hard because, um, you know, nurses work incredibly hard. There's so much put on them. And um, I can say this because I'm a woman, but a lot of women find that they're pulled in lots of directions. Yeah. A lot of um, women, especially who are nurses, will have families, either family themselves or they'll have relatives or siblings mm -hmm. that they need to care for. Um, so they will be tired. And the NHS has changed tremendously even since the time I qualified in the in the mid 90s and so the shifts are often long they often don't get the same breaks they they're working back to back you know they're often put on to jobs that maybe then not not used to doing so they'll always be thinking oh gosh is it is it just because it's the demands of the job um and certainly as we get older we always think oh it's just because i'm getting old but mm -hmm. actually when you're in your 40s and 50s of course that's not old at all um so we one of the reasons i developed the app balance was so that women could monitor their symptoms actually have a bit of time even if it's just once every three months to fill out a menopause symptom questionnaire and then just reflect and think how does this compare to the one last time yeah um and if it's changing and nothing else in your life has changed you should be thinking could it be so mm -hmm. rather than trying to almost say could it be you should almost say why isn't it 
because I think the majority of women, especially in their 40s and 50s, will be experiencing perimenopausal or menopausal symptoms, but they won't be picking up on it. And the sooner women know, the sooner they can hopefully get the right information and advice and receive the right treatment. Because often, even in my clinic, I have no idea whether someone's perimenopausal or menopausal. There's no easy blood test to do because our hormone levels change so much. So often it is just listening and, and to how the women's symptoms are whether their periods have changed or stopped but I still don't know whether all their symptoms are related and I often say to women I have no idea if your low mood your muscle aches and pains your palpitations are related to your low hormones or not but what I do know is that for the majority of women the benefits of HRT outweigh any risks so let's try it for three months Mm. and then when you come back let's see what symptoms are left and you know, most women find that their symptoms improve. So the proof is in the pudding almost. Um, And a lot of women still think, well, I'll I'll wait. I'll wait till my symptoms are really bad and then I'll start HRT. But Mm -hmm. we know from the evidence, the sooner that women take it, the better for their bones, for their heart, for their brain health. And I suppose that's a fairly universal message as well, isn't it? Don't, Don't wait until your symptoms become unbearable before you do... You know, speak to a health professional. I mean, yes, it is. Yeah, it's so important. And I think certainly many of us don't want to waste GPs time. Mm. So we feel embarrassed and think, goodness, they've got other things to do. And especially now with COVID, there's so many demands. But actually, sometimes it's not even the the GP you need to talk to. It might be a nurse practitioner um, or a practice nurse that may be the way in. Um, But it's important, I think, that women recognize their symptoms and if they think they are then they should receive treatment and they're entitled to it because actually it's a lot harder to have a healthy lifestyle if you're struggling and we all know how important exercise um, looking at our weight not drinking alcohol not not smoking is but if you're menopausal and or perimenopausal and have all these symptoms then it can be really hard mm-hmm. and actually then it can be a lot easier to maintain a good lifestyle or or achieve a good lifestyle if you're taking replacement hormones because your symptoms improve so say i was um someone who okay the penny sort of dropped um i think i've got symptoms of perimenopause or menopause so i need to now speak to a health professional obviously at the moment with covid it makes things slightly more difficult but if you're preparing for that initial appointment have you got any tips on what to do i mean i know you mentioned your app and filling out you know a symptom sheet what kind of practical things could could women do to to prepare for that appointment that first appointment because it is important it's absolutely important and I, I think it's it's the best chance you've got is that first appointment so I think being um, informed with as much information as possible, making sure the information you have is evidence-based. There's a lot of information out there, sadly, that is not Mm evidence-based. So have a look, go to menopausedoctor.co.uk, download the app, have a really good read, and then do do one of the menopause symptom questionnaires. There's one on the website, if you just search questionnaire, or obviously on the Balance app, there is one too. And then what you can do actually with the Balance app, you have the ability to download a health report. So this will um, get all your symptoms from the menopause symptom questionnaire and also any other um, diseases or history that you've told the app and it will put it together as a report. And what I would suggest is print that off or email it in advance to your healthcare professional. And then you can start the consultation by saying, 
I think I'm perimenopausal or menopausal, depending on what you are. And I would really like to talk to you today about HRT. I've read that it's safe. I've read how safe it is through the skin. I'd like to try it as a gel or patch. And I also need some progesterone or whatever. But you lead the consultation because what's happening now is very often women are going and often the GPs are very pushed for time understandably and they'll often say well just one one symptom or one problem per consultation so if a woman goes and says oh well, I've got really low mood I'm not sleeping and then the doctor might say well are you feeling anxious are you feeling um, fed up are you worried about the future to to which the woman says yes and so then the doctor says well you're depressed here's some antidepressants mm-hmm. and if the the woman then thinks well how do I say about my headaches or my palpitations or my urinary symptoms that's other problems so the GP won't listen um, or won't have time to listen whereas if you go right at the start the GP doesn't have to ask any of those questions about your symptoms because they're all there on your symptom questionnaire so it actually reduces the consultation length for them by sort of two or three minutes which is really important when you've only got 10 minutes yeah okay and um, you touched on it earlier in the conversation that inappropriate prescribing of antidepressants is, is quite a big issue. I know you've done numerous surveys in the past on, on women's experiences. Um, and it is in the NICE guidance as well, isn't it? That it's not- yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I can see why it happens because people are misdiagnosed. And certainly, you know, I've, I've treated lots of people, men and women with antidepressants, and there's a very good role for them and they work very well for proper clinical depression but this low mood this reduced motivation this anxiety that occurs because of the low hormones in our brains is quite different to depression Mm. and women often say I know I'm not depressed but I feel very low I feel very flat I have no zest for life I don't feel myself Um, so we know also from the evidence that there isn't any good evidence to support the use of antidepressants to improve low mood associated with the perimenopause or menopause. So um, we do know that a lot of women are offered or given antidepressants. A survey I did through my not-for-profit Newson House Research Education um, showed that 66% of women had been offered or given antidepressants, um, which is a lot. But that echoes what I see in my clinic. The vast majority are either on them or they've been offered them. Mm. Um, and, And it won't help. And actually, you know, women can get side effects from these medications as well. So um, they can help for the vasomotor symptoms. So for some women who um, don't take HRT in the first line, so that's usually women who've had an estrogen receptor positive cancer, um, they can sometimes help with the um, flushes and sweats, but then they can cause symptoms such as low libido, which is often low anyway during the menopause. Um, So you have to ask yourself, do I need them? And some women are clinically depressed Mm. and menopausal. And so of course, antidepressants would be appropriate for these women but they can still have hrt as well with the antidepressants okay great and so you know say you go to the doctors or you see a nurse practitioner and you're um prescribes a treatment uh, you know is what sort of time scale would you be looking at for particular symptoms to start um, improving so you know say you're prescribed HRT and you've got unbearable hot flushes I mean is there a set amount of time that you should start to see a difference in your symptoms 
Yeah, so it really varies. So I think it's important for any woman or man listening that a woman's experience of the menopause is very individual. So we are, are all different. And so therefore our response to um, hormones is often very different. So some women will say within days they feel amazing and felt so much better but actually they're the minority it can take three months to really have an effect and some women actually feel slightly worse before they feel better or some women experience symptoms such as uh, breast tenderness or, or bleeding are very common symptoms or side effects and so usually we say persist for three months and then see and then often people come back after three months and say well maybe my flushes have improved or they're a little bit better but I'm still getting this symptom or that symptom and so it might be that the the dose needs adjusting so women might need a slightly higher dose of estrogen or they might need testosterone as well which can help with libido but it can also really help with mood energy concentration stamina those those symptoms as well. And I mean, aside from, you know, the hormone dis deficiency and looking to correct that with treatments, what other um, lifestyle um, measures can be, um, you know, implemented to, to help ease symptoms? I mean, you know, presume uh, a healthier diet and exercise would be would be beneficial. Yeah, and it, it's um, so there is some work to show that certain foods, so spicy food, caffeinated drinks, alcohol can make flushing worse. Um, it, you know, everyone talks about sleep and how important sleep is and trying to get in a proper sleep routine and so forth. But actually, a lot of women don't sleep well because of the imbalance of hormones. Mm. Um, and so a lot of women want to have a good lifestyle, but find it very difficult because mm. of their lack of hormones. Um, it's really important that we look at ways of reducing disease in the future. So I've said there's all this risk of diseases, which sounds horrendous, actually, doesn't it, for menopause or women. But we know that there are ways to reduce our risk of heart disease, diabetes, um, osteoporosis and dementia. One of the ways is, as I've already said, taking HRT. Mm. But we also need to address our diet. So making sure that we eat the right sorts of fats. So, yeah. you know, more like olive oil um, and avocados rather than um, other types of fats. We also should try and reduce processed food. We should try and reduce sugar in our diets. Um, alcohol, obviously, we should be reducing. Yeah. We shouldn't be doing. Um, and exercise is really important. Yeah. But I, I say all this in a reserve way because <laughs> actually, if any of you are listening who are menopausal, it's really difficult to get yeah. off that sofa sometimes. Yeah. If you know, and it's really hard. I, I, someone sat in my clinic recently and, and she said, she's a doctor and she said, oh, I, I encourage all my patients to improve their weight, to exercise more um, before they start HRT. And I'm saying that's just cruel, isn't it? Why can't you consider both? But actually, once women have their hormones balanced, then their weight starts to often improve anyway because their body's not longing for estrogen and clinging onto every fat cell. Mm. They they don't have the muscle aches and pains, so they can jump off the sofa a bit quicker. They've got more energy, more motivation, um, so and more stamina. So then they can exercise and they can think about cooking. They can enjoy food again. They can sleep better. Mm. Now, if you don't sleep, that can you know not sleeping is a form of torture but it can also lead to weight gain actually and risk of heart disease mm. so and I think it's really important that we look at it as a very holistic way and the nice guidance are very 
key that women should have individualized treatment for their menopause yeah so i'm not here saying everyone should take hrt but i'm saying everyone should consider it actually mm. but also there's no point taking hrt and smoking 20 a day and drinking a bottle of vodka every night and not bothering what we eat um so it's it's important that we look at everything but that's yeah. the same in any aspect of medicine and i think it's just scandalous actually that women have been neglected for so long and now we know we have a good quality, cost-effective actually, treatment to really help improve life, to improve productivity as well. Mm. But it's not been given to people, it's just wrong. But we also know, if you think of, you're saying about the, the huge statistics of, of women, we know that 40% of the NHS workforce force are, are, are women so mm. it's a huge number but we know around 20% of women give up their jobs because of their menopausal symptoms yeah. and I think that's probably higher in nurses actually and I certainly have a lot of patients who are nurses who had no idea their symptoms were menopausal they thought it was the demands of the job yeah. um, and it's not until they felt better they've realized but they're being these are the ones I see there's a lot that I liaise with on social media who already tell me that they've given up their jobs as nurses mm. not because they want to and these nurses are really experienced if you get to your 40s 50s as a nurse you've got a wealth of experience and knowledge mm. behind you that is irreplaceable actually um, and women don't want to give up work I would have given up my work as a doctor if I didn't take HRT but I what would I be doing I'd be staring at the four walls and mm. you know my husband probably would have left me my children would have just been in despair and my my life would have been awful so yeah. it's not acceptable really even to say well let's reduce your hours as a nurse because you're not coping because you're getting menopause actually women don't want their hours reduced they don't want their cut their pay cut mm -hmm. they want to work often so it, it's such a big problem I mean, you, you've touched on it there and it's one of the things that I, I really wanted to to ask you about was you know advice for um you know nurses listening to help um you know day-to-day -day work life um i know from you know surveys we've done at nursing standard in the past when you ask about menopause um you will get a raft of you know heartbreaking comments mm. about people who feel like they've got no option but to change role or leave nursing altogether because they simply cannot cope with those kind of twin pressures of we you know we know that nurses are chronically short-staffed um, profession but if you're dealing with the workplace pressures on top of your own health issues um you know do you feel that employers, both NHS and independent, do you feel that they're doing enough to help their workforce? Because it, it's an occupational health issue, really. Absolutely is. And for some women, it can be seen as a disability because it fulfills the criteria of disability. But actually, you know, I think about this a lot, actually, Kat, because I, I feel that Yes, employers should do more and I think we should be doing a lot more for the menopause in the workplace in the same way that mental health is for the workplace. But I also feel that if menopause care was better, if women could receive the treatment that they should have, it wouldn't be such an issue. No. So, for example, you don't have a hypothyroidism policy at work no. because if women, for example, weren't taking thyroxine, they would be tired, they would be lethargic, they would really struggle to think properly. 
but they don't they take thyroxin and they're fine mm. and so it's so it's 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 a really difficult for me as a doctor it sort of almost grates with how i think because i think actually it shouldn't be a problem mm. but it is a problem and then until it's addressed properly then yes you're right we should have proper workplace um and i think you know as, as a you know even i employ quite a few people in my clinic mm. um and we have a really, uh, really, I think, very good, hopefully, menopause um, policy. But that's, uh, as a director, I've got a hidden agenda. I want the women, and they are mostly women that work with me, I want them to be at the top of their game and work really hard, whether they're the secretary or an admin person or one of my managers. Mm -hmm. So I, we have a policy that women get access to us for free mm -hmm. and have, you know, I'm... <laughs> I hope very good menopause consultation so actually for half an hour of my time giving my employees some individualized consultation and mm -hmm. them usually going out with HRT they improve so quickly that actually it's so much better but we also have a policy where people can talk about it either confidentially or to their line manager um, and so it, it makes it very easy um, but it's easy because the women who work with me know a lot about the menopause yeah. and I understand it's very difficult how do you go to especially a male boss or a female boss who doesn't understand the menopause to say look I'm really struggling it's so much easier to say I've got clinical depression or I've had a baby and I'm really tired so that's what's really difficult so I think giving more information in the workplace mm. is really important so it's not being made as a stigma or a laughable thing or mm. or just a woman whinging someone said to me a while ago well do you think women are just going to play on that and they'll take time off work um because they know they can for menopausal mm. i don't know any woman who wants to be menopausal mm. you know there so no one would abuse that at all actually but i think also it can be quite a dark place when you're menopausal and quite frightening you know i have a lot of patients who are worried they've got dementia because they can't think um but to know that that can be normal to to have some sort of support or a group where you can just discuss your symptoms and ways of getting help can be very useful and for women who are experiencing symptoms and maybe waiting to see seek help or um, are struggling then they need to think of what are their symptoms so a lot of policies will talk about changing the air conditioning or uniforms or having wow. water or, or breaks or whatever which is good but I've already said the symptoms um, that usually affect people are not the hot flushes and we did a, a survey at West Midlands Police when I worked with them and we found the main symptoms were anxiety, memory problems and fatigue. So that's very hard to change a workplace and um, some people come in later or have flexible hours which I think is good. But the most important thing for me is to enable all employees to have access to good quality care and treatment. And say if you were listening to this today and maybe maybe you're not menopausal yourself but you have a colleague who um you suspect might be i mean is there any kind of words of advice i know you talked about sort of talking together in groups and being supportive you know is that one way of of, of supporting each other by being open about how you're feeling and what you're feeling and what you're experiencing 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, on my website, under the booklets section, under resources, we have written a booklet about uh, menopause in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And so that's written for anyone, um, male or female, whatever position, whether they're menopausal or not. Mm -hmm. So even having some of these out um, and actually, you know, some women don't want to talk about it, but some women might not have thought about it at all. And so if a colleague, and, and certainly I think about myself a few years ago, if someone had come up to me in the workplace and said to me, Louise, you're actually, you're not quite yourself. You're, you know, you're a bit flat. You're, you, you take a bit longer with your consultations. Do you think, you know, it could be a woman's anywhere. I've read this leaflet. Do you want to read it? Goodness me, it would have saved me six months of feeling yeah. like, misery you know um, and I don't think it's insulting because mm -hmm. you're not saying to someone in a rude way or menopausal it can be in a very helpful way as well so I think making it open when it's not a taboo then mm -hmm. it's easier to talk about it's just been made a taboo for so many wrong reasons sadly mm -hmm. and, and just to, to kind of finish up today um have you got any key kind of pieces of advice um especially at the moment what we're finding is with our readers obviously we're, we're still in the midst of the, the covid pandemic and ppe is a is a sort of mm. constant feature now of, of working life and when um we've spoken to readers about wearing ppe and some of those might be having hot flushes um and you know trying to keep cool while they're, they're still wearing ppe is there any advice um on what they can do to um kind of make it a little bit more comfortable in the workplace you know could they be talking to management about uniforms or you know what they're wearing to work i think it's really important being really as open as you can so if your uniform is uncomfortable and certainly wearing ppe can be horrendous for people whether they're menopausal or not but if you are getting symptoms be open about it and say look I, I am actually really struggling and is there a way that i could change my uniform or reduce my working pattern um, because i think the more open you are the better mm -hmm. i think the problem is now for a lot of people if they are open they might just get laughed at or dismissed mm -hmm. so actually taking one of these booklets that i've mentioned and giving it to a line manager or someone that you report to to say don't judge me read this and i am actually struggling but then i think also it can't be just to the employer's problem if you like it has to be the woman to take some responsibility and mm -hmm. and and sadly as a health professional i hate saying this but if you don't get the right help from the first health professional you see then go and see someone else i think it's very important that we we all have patient-led consultations and we have to listen to our patients but a lot of women who are menopausal and perimenopausal are not being listened to and not being taken seriously or not given the right advice so we have to do a lot of homework as patients and i think to to read the guidance especially the nice guidance to look at the information and if you decide that you have benefits from taking hrt yet you're not offered or given it then go and see another doctor don't just think i'm going to suffer and put up with it and it might the symptoms might improve because even if your symptoms improve your health risks won't improve when your symptoms stop mm -hmm. so it, it's taking it 
to a different level actually and I find it really hard to say that as a healthcare professional because of course I'm supportive of my colleagues but sadly a lot of my colleagues have not been given any information or a training about the menopause which is a massive problem so they think they're doing the best and they are doing the best with their knowledge mm -hmm. but actually that needs to be challenged and it needs to be addressed properly. So, so kind of for, you know, arming yourself with the knowledge is, is, is the best way of empowering yourself to, to have Absolutely. a big menopause. Because that's what I was going to say, you know, want, let's try and end on an upbeat note here. I mean, is, is it possible to have a good menopause? Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, it should be the best time of our lives. It, ha it lasts for ages, doesn't it? I've already said that for decades for a lot of us. And it, it should be a really positive experience. You know, if we have our hormones balanced, if we look after ourselves, if we have, um, you know, good exercise, good diet, you know, love from our friends and family then it should be a really positive experience and women should be at the top of their game we've you know we've worked hard to where we've got to in whatever profession we're working in so I feel yeah it's so doom and gloom at the moment because women aren't being given the right treatment mm. actually but it should be we should be we should be the the next generation that make it a really positive experience and I suppose talking you know being being open if you can if that's what you know you feel that that's what you want to do but speaking to sort of you know younger members of your family or younger colleagues it, it, it filters down doesn't it I know that you know they're finally discussing menopause in in um, education at schools and I mean you know I'm, I'm almost 40 now and I don't think the menopause was ever mentioned when I was at school no. um, you know it's just, it's got to be a good thing surely absolutely of course it is I mean my I've got teenage children and and they talked about all sorts of things at school you know from sexually transmitted infections to drug abuse and all sorts and you know hopefully a lot of them will not have sexually transmitted infections or go to drugs but all of them will become menopausal or the girls will so um it's it's really important and actually some of my friends they're recognizing some of my children are recognizing menopause in their parents actually the parents of some of their friends which is great but it is making it open i think you know younger generations are so much more open with everything and they should be with this too because it will reduce the suffering yeah. uh, for a lot of people brilliant thank you ever so much louise newton um it's been a real eye-opener um and i hope um you listening will will find some um you know good tips to to take forward if not for yourself but for colleagues um and um yeah thanks ever so much louise that was great oh thanks for inviting me it's been great and thank you very much for listening. Just a reminder that all the resources connected with this episode of the show can be found at rcni.com forward slash podcast, where you can also catch up on any episodes you may have missed or simply want to play back. And we greatly appreciate any feedback, so please do rate or review us on Apple or Spotify podcasts, which will also help other people to find us. I hope you enjoyed the show.